Um, I want to let you know we just um, got word, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I do want to let you know that out here is a white mercury that has its lights on. So if that is yours, your lights are on. I think you'll be okay. I don't plan on preaching that long. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> never mind. So right. I, it's always tough when I find out then because there's no way to sneak out of here, but we've all done it. So um, we begin this morning, as John referenced, uh, a sermon series called Conversations on the Front Porch. And uh, I did not uh, intentionally plan it this way with the rocking chairs just so I could sit down. Um, but it is a nice perk. And uh, we're going to, for the next six Sundays, uh, we're going to be really talking about relationships. And six of, of what I believe are essential relationships in our lives. God desired relationships in our lives. And, and I, I took this from a book um, titled 11, and I referenced this a few weeks ago by Leonard Sweet. And I want to give Len credit for a lot of the ideas that are going to come out of this series because he talks about in this book uh, 11 essential relationships. We might do a part two of this series and, and, and explore the other five at another time, but we're going to do six um, for this sermon series. And I, and I called it Conversations on the Front Porch because I got this idea for a sermon series a few years ago and was trying to figure out where, what would fit with it. Because front porches, I think, are very powerfully symbolic places. Uh, they're, they're places where, where conversation happens. And, and the reason that, that we did two chairs up here is because certainly you can have quiet time on a front porch. You can have time with God on a front porch. But I think a lot of times this is where our relationships um, are explored and our relationships deepen. And uh, for me, at least in my own mind, the kind of people that you sit on a front porch and have uh, conversation with are the important people in your life. You know, the, the, the significant uh, relationships in your life. I think there's, there's a reason uh, Cracker Barrel uses this as their, uh, as their waiting area. It's the only restaurant in the world I don't mind waiting at when there's chairs to be found because you can sit out and you can have good conversation. And so for the next six weeks, what we're going to talk about are the kind of people that need to be in this chair from time to time. And certainly sometimes we have conversations with more than one, but, but for the sake of this imagery, who's the, the one person that sits there or the people that will sit there from time to time that I believe God wants us to have in our life, that we need to have in our life. And we're going to use some character study. We're going to talk about some of the significant men and women from both the Old and New Testament to, to explore that. Because here's what we know. Life's about the journey. You know, we, we, we're on a journey together. And the scriptures are all about a community of people journeying in a relationship with God. It's never just about one person and God. I've talked about this before. That, that, that might be part of the narrative, but it always affects a community of people. In Genesis chapter 12 on, it's always about a group of people called the people of God or the church or the disciples or on and on, always in community. We're meant to live our lives in community and relationship. We were created for it. We worship a God who's all about relationship, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God exists in relationship, and so we're called for that too. So today we're going to talk about Nathan. Now, 
Nathan, we need to we need to set up. You all know me. I cannot stay seated for this sermon. Um, I get I just can't do it. I get happy feet. But I do I do thank Jenny for the uh, lemonade that I have up here for the for the morning. Um, we're going to pick up Nathan's story at Second Samuel chapter twelve and his relationship with David and how this concept of accountability works into our significant relationships. But before we read chapter 12, you, you have to understand what happened in chapter 11 because chapter 12 only makes sense in light of the previous experience for David. For some of you, this is a very familiar story. For others, this may be brand new. But we have to go back a chapter. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, one of the most significant sentences, I believe, in the Old Testament. It begins this way. David, who's now the king of Israel at this point. But the second, Sam, second Samuel 11 begins with this. At the time of year when kings go out to war, David sent Joab. Now, that in and of itself doesn't seem all that significant, but it's very significant. Because what the scripture is saying is that at a time of the year when the king's responsibility was to go out to be with his soldiers, to be out in the field, to be about the work of, of being a king, David stayed back. David sent somebody else to do it. David stayed in the city. He shirked his duties. He, he got a little lazy. He got a little complacent. And in his complacency, the rest of the chapter is all about David messing up big time. And that mess up is David in the story of Bathsheba. And here is the nutshell of the story. And I encourage you to go read it if you're not familiar with it. But in his staying back in the city, one night he's up on the top of his, of his palace. And he's looking out over the city and it's dusk and he sees a young woman bathing on a rooftop. Now David had a bird's eye view. And our concepts of privacy and, and bathrooms are very, very different then. And so you didn't have that kind of total seclusion and privacy. And Bathsheba's out there, and David sees her, and he's struck by her beauty. And David thinks, well, I'm king, and I get what I want, and that's what I want. So he calls Bathsheba, you know, he summons her, and he has a relationship with her. And Bathsheba gets pregnant, which in and of itself is bad. But then you add on top of the fact that Bathsheba was married and not to David. And so David has a problem. And not only is she married, but her husband, Uriah, is out with the military serving David as a soldier. So David schemes. And he says, I'm going to call Uriah back. And when he comes back, we're going to have a party, and I'm going to keep serving him the wine. And when the night's over, he's going to go home to his wife, and he's going to have relationships with his wife. And when she's pregnant, he'll never be the wiser. He'll think it's his child. The problem is Uriah is more faithful than David is. And Uriah says, I can't go sleep in my house. I cannot be with my wife, not while my brothers are out on the front line. So he doesn't, he doesn't know it's a trap, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't behave the way David expects him to behave. So David continues with the problem. So I think in one of the, the just cruelest twists of fate, David sends Uriah back to the front line with a sealed note for the general. And basically, Uriah carries his own death sentence. And David says to Joab, put Uriah on the front line. Put him on the front line, then pull everybody back so that Uriah will be killed. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah is killed. He's now out of the way. David can take Bathsheba as his wife. She's going to be pregnant, but nobody's going to be none the wiser. 
I've gotten away with it. Everything's fine. We'll go on with life. Except everything wasn't fine. God knew. And there needed to be accountability. And we're going to read about how David experiences the accountability in his life. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning now at verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is the prophet. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arm. It was like a daughter to him. Let me pause for a moment. Remember what David was before he was a king? He was a shepherd. So he understands this story. He's going to get this kind of even attachment, even if David didn't have. He's going to get this, this imagery. So, so this man has this beloved lamb. It's verse 4. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel I anoint you king over Israel, and I delivered from you the hand or delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives in your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. Speak to us. Just speak to us in these moments. Through your word and through these words, to the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. David needed to be accountable. And that is hard when you're a king to be accountable because there is nobody on the food chain higher than you are. And David had every reason to believe that he had gotten away with what he had done. But God sent somebody to speak truth into his life, to hold David accountable. That's an interesting word that we explore, accountability. People that God sends into our lives to hold us accountable, to challenge us, to speak truth to us, 
to say the difficult things to us. In his book, Lensui talks about changing that word accountable to editable, as an editor. Having a life that is editable. And, and at first when I read that, I thought it's semantics. Accountability, being, um, having an editor in your life. It sounds like I'm saying that you're edible. I, that's that, there's no problem with that word. It's editable. But, but the more I thought about that imagery of having an editor in our lives, the more I liked it. Because I, I remember as, as a kid and, and growing up in, in my middle school and high school years, one of the, the experiences I had with, with my father uh, was that whenever we had written assignments due for school, whenever we had to write papers, the, the, usually the night before it was due, we would spend what seemed like hours sitting together in front of the computer and editing the paper. And we would go through uh, line by line, sentence by sentence, word by word, and, and clean it up. And he would point out the, the mistakes or the grammatical errors or the poor word choices or the, the need to, to make the, f- the thoughts flow better. And it was sometimes incredibly frustrating because it seemed to me in my memory that editing the paper took long than writing the silly thing. But this is what I know, and I knew then, was the reason for it. The reason he edited was so that it would be better. The reason he edited is so that my thoughts would be communicated more effectively. My grade would, would come back higher. My, my paper would be sharper. In, fa- in, in, in other words, it was always done because of, we had a relationship, and his desire was for me to be better because of it. And that's what an editor does. They are in a relationship with us and they have a heart that desires for our lives to be better because editors can see things in our lives that we don't see in ourselves. Uh, going back to the, the image of, of writing the paper, I, we would inevitably get to a line in whatever I had written and Dad would say, Chris, I want you to read that. And I'd go, the analysis of the project Prove to be ineffective. And he'd go, no, 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 read it again. The analysis of the project proved to be ineffective. And he'd go, no, read it again. And by then I knew there was something I was missing, so I'd slow down and I'd read it. And all of a sudden I'd realize that what I'd written was the analysis of the project proved be ineffective. What happened was, and I do this, and you probably do this, when I would read it, I would read what I thought I wrote. I would read what I meant to write. So I'd read it as it was in my head. He'd read it as it was on the paper. And he would see errors and mistakes that I never saw. That's why one of the rules of thumb is you always want somebody else to read your papers. And and the irony is it's full circle now. I do this with Ryan and Cassidy. Tony does it for me sometimes in my written work. Uh, and I still send stuff to dad for him to edit. Because you need another set of eyes because editors help us to see what we don't see ourselves. They cover our blind spots. And sometimes that's a little painful and sometimes it's a little um, frustrating. But it's always birthed in relationship. And, and that's the key for Nathaniel. God sends the scripture that I began with 
in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the first lines, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord knew David needed an editor. He needed to be accountable. And it says the Lord sent. And see, that's important because all through these weeks, we're going to talk about the relationships that I believe are God-given. God blesses our lives with other people. Not everybody in our life is a blessing, but God blesses our lives with other people. And that's important. God sent. And, and let me say real quick, while, just in case I forget, this series really is forced to examine two sides of a coin. Who are these people that God desires us to have in our lives, and how are we called to, to live into these kind of relationships for other people? This isn't just about what we get. It's also about what we give and what we offer. But God sent. And then, specifically, God sent Nathan. Well, why did he send Nathan? Because Nathan had a relationship with David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, we get introduced to Nathan. And Nathan is shown to be an advisor, somebody who can speak God's word and speak truth and speak guidance and wisdom into David's life. And he clearly had an open invitation to have an audience with David. David is the king of Israel. He is the most powerful man in the land. And Nathan gets right in to see him. That's because Nathan obviously had that kind of an invitation. Go to Washington, knock on the White House door and see if you can get an audience with the president. See how well that works. Okay? That's, that's what it would be like for most people. But Nathan had that. Nathan had, the, you know what I think of? I kind of think of the relationship Billy Graham's had with presidents over the years. Where, you know, if Billy came to talk, you opened your door. Because of his heart and his wisdom, his guidance. That's what Nathan is. But Nathan, Nathan isn't there to be a thorn in the flesh for David. He's there to offer guidance and relationship and friendship and, and whatever words of truth need to be spoken into David's life. And that relationship is really important. As we talk about accountability, recognizing that it's best birthed in a, in a personal connection with somebody. Because you will always have people that will show up in your life that want to tell you where you've messed up and where you've fallen short. There are always going to be people that will show up that will love to point out your shortcomings. And sometimes we need to hear that. But the, the problem is, if it's not really born out of a relationship, if it's not somebody you have a connection to, we have a tendency to tune it out. And I think sometimes we should. Because sometimes people's criticism of us is more about them than it is about us. But when it's in a relationship, we can listen and hear those hard things. I, there's somebody who I know who's not a part of this church who every time I see him, every time, points out my shortcomings. Tells me what I need to do better, where I need to step it up, you know, the things that I'm not very good at. Now, they do it nicer than I'm making it sound, but that's what he does. And sometimes he's right on, but I'll tell you what happens. I go out of my way not to have conversations with him because it gets old. It gets tiring because I'm not sure that he really has my best interest in mind. Well, when it's in a relationship, as David had with Nathan, David knew Nathan had his best interest in mind. And Nathan lived out. When it, see, Nathan spoke the truth, but as the Scripture says, he spoke the truth with love. You know, that, that's to see one of the biggest cop-outs you'll ever hear, and maybe you've said it, and if I call you out, then be challenged by this. But people will say, you know, say, well, well why could you say, why were you so mean, or why were you so rough, or why were you, well, I was just speaking the truth. I was just telling the truth. 
Well, see, that's only half the equation. Telling the truth matters. How you tell the truth is really important too. Nathan spoke the truth in a way to build up, not to tear down. We need people in our lives that will speak the tough truth in a desire to build us up, not to tear us down. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, When a brother or sister has fallen into sin, those of us in the Spirit need to speak restoration into their lives with a spirit of gentleness. Nathan took the, the scalpel to David's life, but he did it in a way that changed his heart, not just induced pain, inflicted pain. So we need Nathans in our lives. We need people that can speak that truth in our lives. Now, here's what we know about the Nathans in our lives. Here's the characteristics of Nathans. Nathans will get under your skin. Nathans will, will get under your skin. Now, sometimes that's kind of in an irritating way. We don't always like what they say to us. Don't, don't ever mistake the fact that, that we need Nathans in our lives with, the, with, the cha- with me saying that we always welcome Nathans. I'm not so sure David was really happy to hear what Nathan, in fact, I'm sure he wasn't happy to hear what Nathan had to say. Because Nathans get under the skin, but here's what they force us to do. Nathans force us to look at ourselves. We live in a society and we fall into a trap where we are always looking to blame somebody else for our problems. It's always somebody else's fault. You know what? Yeah, I was unfaithful to my wife, but if she had treated me better, I wouldn't have been. Or, you know what, yeah, I, I, I was a little dishonest at work, but if they had recognized me for the value that I brought, or, or yes, I behaved in this way, but they caused it. You know, that kind of outward blame, that is, that, the victim mentality that somebody else caused me to do what I did. Now, there are times that may be true, but most often than not, we're scapegoating. And what we do is we look outward to, to place blame and responsibility on other people. Nathans won't let you do that. Nathans are going to make you look at you. Nathans are going to challenge you and say, Chris, what role did you have in that? Chris, what is your responsibility? Chris, what is your, your, your failure in your behavior, your, your ownership in, in what you have done? Nathans, they, they kind of they force us to look inward. And that's really important because, see, here's what I know. Sometimes those things about us inside, those irritants in our lives, those shortcomings in our lives can become things of beauty if we're willing to name and recognize them. God can use them and bless us and others through them if we're willing to own them. Uh, we were walking around uh, on, on Monday Tony and I uh, had taken the kids this week to, uh, to Disney. We had a couple days off from school, Monday and Tuesday. The kids were out of school, so we were at Disney. And actually, it was on Tuesday. We were at Epcot, and we were walking around the, the Parade of Nations. What do they call that? You know, where all the nations are. World Showcase, thank you. We were walking around the World Showcase. We went back to Japan because Cassidy really wanted this gum that they sell, Japanese gum. And so we were walking back there, and we were walking through, and they had one of these in, in the store, one of these little exhibits where uh, I, I think kids can pick out an oyster, and they'll shuck the oyster, and you can look for the pearl. 
Uh, was that you, Cassie, was that you and I that were doing that, or was it me and Ryan? Who was I walking with? Must have been Cassie. And we're walking by, and one of the kids had, I guess, shucked an oyster, and they'd found a pearl. I don't know if it's a Disney setup thing or if it's real. It didn't matter. And, and you know, Cassie was just asking me, how, where, where do pearls come from? And I said, they come from oysters. Well, how do they get in there? Well, it's an irritant. It's a splinter. It's a grain of sand. It's something inside that is a problem that the oyster recognizes and begins to coat over, to smooth out, to make beautiful. God does that in our lives if we're able to see those irritants, those splinters, those realities of what's inside. Nathan's help us look inside. They, they push you to look inside, not, the, not out there, but in here. Now, here's the other thing about Nathan's, and this is my favorite point. Nathan's are on the journey with us. Nathan's help us in our journey. Help us in our process, if you will. See, Nathan showed up, and he could have just showed up and said, David, you sinned, you messed up, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have and lectured David. But he doesn't. He tells David a story. And he tells the story in such a way that at the end of the story, Nathan didn't need to point out David's failure. David knew it. At the end of the story, I believe David recognized exactly the truth and the magnitude of what he had done. He owned it through the story. Nathan's help us to see things in different ways. Very often, if, if our Nathans are really creative, maybe they tell a story like this Nathan did. But very often, they ask us questions. They ask us questions that force us to think spiritually, that force us to think about our relationship with God. Again, going back to my father, when I was in the seventh grade, I wanted to put in my locker at school in Jacksonville. Stanton College Preparatory School is the first time I'd ever had a locker. And when you're in seventh grade and you have a locker, that was cool. And I wanted to put a picture from Sports Illustrated in my locker. But I want to put a specific picture from a specific issue of Sports Illustrated in my locker. And it wasn't football and it wasn't baseball. It was swimsuit. It was Kathy Ireland, for those of you that grew up when I did. I still remember the picture. Um, and so, not wanting to get in trouble, I asked Dad. I said, Dad, can, can I do this? I'll never forget the conversation. We had it in the kitchen at the church in Jacksonville. And he didn't tell me no. Because I was getting that age, but I'll never forget he asked me. He said, Chris, he's like, is this picture going to help or hurt your witness for Christ? And I thought, ow. But he didn't tell me I couldn't. And you know what? I put that picture up. And every time I looked at it, I had to ask that question. I never enjoyed having that picture in my locker because his question rang in my ears. And eventually I took it out. Because he didn't tell me what to do. He asked me a question. And that question forced me to examine who I was and who I wanted to be. Nathan's ask us questions in these conversations. That Jesus, remember when he reinstates Peter after Peter had denied him three times and they're sitting around the fire on the shore of Galilee? He doesn't say, Peter, I reinstate you. Three times he asked him a question. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He gets him where he needs him to be, not by telling, but by leading. Nathan's very often lead us. I had another encounter when I was in college. 
It's amazing how these just jumped out at me later on because these are people that are, were in relationship in the journey. But when I was in college, when I went to college my first year at Florida Southern, I went with a, a high school girlfriend. And that lasted about two months into being in college. And I was not the one who ended the relationship. And so after we broke up, I was just the saddest little puppy dog you ever saw. I mean, I was just mopey as could be. And I had, had a friend that year at college named Shannon Hambrick. And Shannon had kind of seen and she'd known all of this was happening. And, and we were together, you know, a f group of us almost every day. And, and like I said, I mean, there's feeling sad and then there's getting kind of a little over the top. And I think I'd gotten to that over the top point. And uh, she looked at me one day in the cafeteria and she said, Chris, she said, are, are you happy at the guy you see every time you look in the mirror? And, and she meant, you know, she could have told me, stop moping, suck it up, move on. She didn't. She just said, are you happy with what you see? And I wasn't. And it was an aha moment. As simple as it sounds, it was an aha moment. It was time to move on. Nathans are on a journey with us. They care about us. And they ask the questions or tell the stories that help us to see what we don't always want to see. And, and here's the last point. Uh, Nathan's, they, they tell the truth. They, they speak the hard truths in our lives. And you know, sometimes we want to be nice and we don't say the tough things. Nathan's will say the tough things to us. He took a great risk when he came to David. David was the king. David could have had his life ended just like that. But he came willing to speak the truth. Nathan's know we might get mad at him. You might be the Nathan who's had somebody get mad at you. But they say the tough things. And they speak the truth with love and with gentleness. But sometimes their words are not the kindest. But they're always the truest. That's why sometimes our spouses make our best Nathans. And I'm not even going to turn around right now. But they do. <laughs> because our spouses very often will speak the hard words that we need to hear. But not just our spouses. Other people in our lives. Those are our Nathans. The question is, do you have a Nathan in your life? Because you need one. And the more successful you get in life, the more you better have a Nathan. Because the higher we climb, the further the fall. And we've seen that over and over again. You need a Nathan in your life. You need to be a Nathan and you need a Nathan. Somebody who will speak the truth with love. Somebody who will be on that journey with you. Somebody that will help you see what you don't always want to or are willing to to see. And you need to honor those Nathans. You need to thank God for those Nathans in your life. Len Sweet tells a story that in the 17th century, the haiku master Boshu, I think, if I'm saying his name right, was walking around the island of Japan, and he got lost. And he didn't know how to get back to the city, and he stumbled upon a farmer. And he said to the farmer, he said, can you help give me directions back to the city? And the farmer said, no, the directions would be too confusing. What I can do is I can let you take my horse. My horse knows the way. The horse will lead you back to the city. And when you are done, just let the horse go. The ho she'll come home. And so that's exactly what he did. He took the horse and he, the horse led him into the city. But before he let the horse go, he did one thing. He tied a gift on the saddle. And he sent the horse back with a gift. A way of saying thank you to that farmer for his guidance. Thank you for helping me navigate through this lost time in my life. 
Sometimes we need to tie a gift to the saddlebag to say thank you for those who help us navigate. Here's an interesting thing about David, something I did not know until I started preparing this message. I love these moments when I learn something about that gift on the saddlebag. David's son with Bathsheba, if we continue the story, died. That was part of the judgment of his sin. That child died. But after that child died, David married Bathsheba or had married Bathsheba, and they would go on to have four more sons. One of those sons you probably know well. His name was Solomon. He went on to be the next king. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 5, we read about the names of those four children. And this is the children born to David by Bathsheba. And I'm not going to read them in order. There was Solomon. There was Shamua. There was Shobab. And there was Nathan. David named his son Nathan. Because he knew what Nathan meant to him. He knew that Nathan's guidance and his voice had restored him, had returned. God had used that to bring him back to faithfulness. And David would remain, though the repercussions of his sin would follow him the rest of his life, he stayed faithful to God. Nathan's help keep us faithful. I pray, brothers and sisters, you have one and you are one. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the Nathans in our lives. And if we don't have a Nathan, Lord, help us to find one. Somebody that will speak the truth to us, that will hold us accountable, that will edit our lives, and will journey with us. Somebody to sit in that chair in the steps of our life in you. We pray that today and always, thank you for the Nathans in our lives. In Christ Jesus, amen.